Amen. I want to read you, and if you could please uh, put that up on the screen. Wednesday night, this last Wednesday night, uh, God spoke to me during the worship, and I wrote down what he said. Would you please put that up, uh, Peter, that first quote that I gave you? And this is what I heard him say very loudly in my spirit. Tell your people to stir themselves up. I had another sermon planned for today. Uh, but this is, this is taking the precedent because he said, do it right away. That lethargy and being distracted by the world, that lukewarmness and half-heartedness is trying to creep into your church and is already in the church of North America at large. Other cultures are not like that. But the church in North America is. That's part of the spirit of the world. Next, next screen. Tell them that they must counter that by being fervent. Tell them they have to stir themselves up and stay hot and not lukewarm. It's easy, that's what I heard him say, to let fervency slip. And boy, is that ever true. I rebuke the church in the book of Revelation for their lukewarmness. Now go to the next screen, last screen. Your, now this is so important, your people's response to my house and to filling up this church will determine if they're ready for me to bring you into the next building. In other words, what he's saying is, uh, it is God has to bring us in and God is going to bring us into the new building. But uh, there, is a, there is an attitude that he's looking for amongst the congregation to see if we're ready for him to do that financial miracle and it's going to take a financial miracle. Either God has to bring in extraordinarily wealthy people into our congregation which he can, or he's going to speak to people outside the congregation that maybe aren't even saved to just so large amounts of funds because we can't find a building that's less than $15 million in Mississauga. They go up from there. And, and that is for the smallest size building that we could possibly use, which is 40,000 square feet, which is four times the size of this building. Cause God told me don't go less than 40,000 unless I lead you, but she hasn't at this point. And so you need 50% down with the banks. We need seven and a half million at the lowest. Yeah. We have 1.2, 1.3, something in that range. Uh, and that's all we've been saving for all these years. We're not even close to even putting a down payment. And to raise uh, six million or change from this congregation with our size currently is just physically impossible. Yeah. It's just not possible. The people in our congregation just don't have that kind of money. I'm talking millions and millions of dollars. But the Lord said to me through Pastor Jay in Montana, God spoke to me through him. There was a word of God to me, a prophetic word. And Pastor Jay said, faith is a great equalizer. And it don't matter if I need 3 million for your building and you need 15 for yours. He said, faith will do, faith does, the, the, the number does not matter to God. Faith is what matters to God. If God can do it for three, he can do it for 15. It's only a number. And, and something came into me when he said that a strength came into me. And the Lord said, I'm going to provide you those funds. Yes. And you're going to have that building. David Ellis heard the congregation singing and Dr. Brother Greer has already seen the building. Yes. He said, I'm going to do it for you. So on one side of the coin, God's going to do this. Yes. But on the other side, now listen closely, on the other side of the coin, we don't just take off all hands of responsibility either. And you've got to find the middle because if you don't find the middle, then it's going to sound like that God is saying, if you don't do this, I'm not going to do that. And, and that's not really the spirit of what he's saying, although he is saying that. What he's saying is, I'm going to supply the need. This is going to come to pass. But don't have your congregation just take off their hands of responsibility either and just get slack. 
Because if they get slack, it's not that I can't do the miracle. If they get slack, they're not worthy for that miracle and to move into that larger place because I'm not going to take a bunch of lukewarm people into that place. So there is an element of responsibility and cooperation on our side, but not in a fearful, you know, not in a tyrannical way where now we're doing this out of fear. God is going to do this. And this congregation is going to sow its best. But it's going to take more than this congregation unless God brings us extraordinary wealthy people, which I am more than happy for him to do. But I don't really care how he does it. He has to do it. But while he's doing his side, Jenny, we have our side. Our side is not just sowing money. Our side is having an attitude that is pleasing to him and that is responding to this house and filling up this church, that attitude determines if we're ready for him to bring us into the next building. Go back to the beginning, please, of that quote. And it says, tell your people to stir themselves up. Lethargy, being distracted by the word, lukewarmness, half-heartedness, trying to creep in. And it's already out there. Other cultures are not like that, but in North America it is. That's part of the spirit of the world is that lethargy. Next one. Tell them they must counter that by being fervent. How do you counter lethargy and lukewarmness? You stir yourself up with fervency. Tell them they have to stir themselves up and stay hot and not lukewarm. It's easy to let it slip, and I rebuke them in Revelation for that. And then, of course, you know that last screen, that your response of fervency matters to God. Now, listen, this is one of those sermons where I can can preach it, but but if the Holy Ghost doesn't help you catch it, I've just wasted my time. I might as well have been at the park this morning. But, but I believe that he's going to help you catch this this morning because this is more than just a sermon. There, there, there has to be an impartation into you from this message. And I believe because God said for me to do it and he said for me to do it today, I had other things I wanted to talk about today, which I guess maybe we'll talk about on our anniversary service next week. But, but he said, no, you do this today. He said this Wednesday night. I got home and I said, Lord, can I put it off? Because I got something for this Sunday already. He said, this Sunday, son. I want you to do it today. In other words, when God says that, you just listen. And obviously it shows that he's pretty intense about this. That this is serious to him. And I love, I love all of you and I'm not correcting or rebuking you, but I'm telling you there is a, put it back up, please. There, first one, there, first one, there is a lukewarmness, a lethargy, a distraction, and a half-heartedness trying to creep in. How is that? How do we know that? How does, why is God saying that? Part of it is, is because, and I'm, I, listen, I gotta be, I gotta be direct. I can't beat around the bush with you. I gotta be direct. Part of it is in, in the giving. Part of it, and that's not all of it. Part of it is in the serving. There are still very many people in this church that do nothing. Nothing. Uh, you're not serving Pastor Craig. You're serving Jesus. And he is worthy of your time. Whether you just say, put me once every three months, if you can't do it every month and let me clean or put me once every six months. Well, I don't even want to say that because we want to do it at least by once per quarter. But let me, let me teach the children. Let me do the video cameras. Let me do something in the editing room. Let me do something on the music. I don't know, pastor, I got to do something because that's serving Jesus. Part of this lukewarm half-heartedness is a lack of serving. It's a lack of giving, but it's also a lack of attendance. Do you remember God said to me, if you love the church, tell them agape is the love of God should have brought in their heart. Romans 5, 5. If you love the church, you're going to have agape, A-G-A-P-E. A is attending. Part of the lukewarmness is just, I don't feel like going on Wednesday nights. 
Let me tell you something. Wednesday nights is all about balance. Wednesday night is not like Sunday morning. Wednesday night is a totally different anointing, totally different flow. And there is more of a teaching anointing. And you need that in your life. People tell me all the time, Pastor, I almost like Wednesdays more than I like Sunday mornings because it's a different kind of flow and you teach me. I need the teaching. But some people, they just, it's, it, sometimes they've got work. Why don't you use your faith to change the shift? Don't make the excuse, I've got a job. God can give you a different shift. God can touch your boss to give you a different shift. If it matters to you to be here, which it should, because you shouldn't be that half-hearted, distracted with your job because you need the feeding. While I watch live stream, it's not the same. It's not the same. I'm serious about this. I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm trying. That's why I didn't want to do it today because it's like we're in the party mode of anniversary and, and I didn't want to do this today, but he said, you do it today. It's creeping in, Jennifer. It's creeping in and they're serving. It's creeping in and they're giving. It's creeping in and they're attending. And what is the A of agape? If you love this church, you will A, attend. He gave that acronym to me years ago. A, G, give. A, G, A, assist or aid or ministry of helps. A, G, A, P is prayer. A, G, A, P, E is evangelism. If you, if you got to watch those five areas, where is my attendance? Where is my giving? Where is my ministry of helps? Where is my praying? Not in your personal life, for this church. Attending prayer meetings. Where is my evangelism? There's also a very, you can get very easily lukewarm about God gives you opportunities to tell people. And you're just too inconvenient. It's too embarrassing. I'm too shy. I don't want to be rejected. But he gave you that opportunity because that person doesn't just need to be saved. That person needs to be discipled. And that person needs to get into a church so that a pastor can feed them so they're not scattered. The goal, listen to me evangelizers, because some do it more than others. The goal is not just to get them saved. The goal is to have fruit that remains. The only way to get remaining fruit is to plug them into a local church. It bothered me that he said that. I said, Lord, you're going to have to, you're going to have to help me because I have to preach tonight. I have to teach them on the leading of the spirit. And I feel like, like what you've just said to me is bothering me. Because this, is, this shouldn't be about Promise of Life Church. These words shouldn't be associated with Promise of Life Church. And yet you're correcting me and you're telling me to correct them and I'm going to do it and you're going to help me do it because I don't want to hurt anybody and I don't want to offend anybody. But the facts are, some of you need your tree shaken. This is not a game and this is not the Qantas Club and this is not the, 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 the Boulevard Club. This is not just, you know, what are those guys with the weird hats on, on the go-karts? What are their names? Reiners, Shriners. You know, have you ever seen the Shriners? They've got these tall red hats and they're on go-karts and they almost run you over. They're devils. But they're part of some kind of Masonic Lodge demon group or whatever. Uh, you know, we're not the Masonic Lodge. We're not the Shriner Corporation. We are a chapter globally and there's millions of churches around the world. But God saw fit to plant you here. And you're part of a living body. And he expects you to act responsibly and accordingly because it's about him, not about your convenience. Yeah. I'm going to India in February with Pastor Happy and, the, and, and Dr. Roberts told me, he said, Pastor Craig, you, you, better, you better watch that Pastor Paul down there. And I said, why? He said, he will work you to death. 
And so I said to Pastor Paul, I emailed them and I said, sir, I'm there three days. I guess you want me to do maybe one service a night, maybe two, I guess. I don't know. But whatever you want, I don't know how hungry your pastors are, but whatever you want, I'll do. He got back to me a few days later and he said, oh, Pastor Craig, he said, that's not how we do things here. <laughs> he said, I need you to do 10 sessions in three days, three on two and four on the other. He said, we're so hungry. Then I said to Dr. Roberts, I said, they told me this. He said, I told you they'd work you to death. And he said, when I was there, we did the, just two sessions. But after he left at 10 o'clock at night to go back to the hotel, those pastors are so hungry. They stayed and had another service after he left till two in the morning. Spontaneous, not planned, just because they don't want to leave. They don't want to go back to sleep. They are being fed. They are hungry for God. They are white hot fervent. And I understand what Jesus says when he says not all cultures are like that. Because there are cultures around the world that are very, very fervent. Now, they may not have other things that we have, but they are fervent. But the problem in this culture is that we've become satisfied and we've become comfortable. Are you listening to me? I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. Because uh, this affects a lot of things going forward. Now, have a look with, since he talked about the word lukewarmness, and then in the other thing he said, I rebuked the church in the book of Revelation. I figured since that's what he referenced in the prophetic word, I should probably talk a little bit about that. So would you have a look at Revelations chapter 3 and verse 15? Revelations chapter 3. You're okay, right? You're not, you're not leaving. You're not zoning out. You're not doing Tetris or brick block, brick breaking blocks or whatever those games are. You're, you're just with me still. Revelations chapter 3, hallelujah, and verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen. I like the name that his name is amen. When you say amen, pastor, you're saying Jesus' name. I think that's cool. These things saith the amen. He is the so be it. The faithful and the true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. This is what he says to the Laodiceans, which is the seventh church. Listen, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. In other words, don't have nothing to do with me or be on fire for me. But this thing you're doing, it makes me sick. That's literally what it means. It makes me sick. So then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot. I will spew thee out of my mouth. And other translation says, I will vomit you. Yeah. In other words, when you're sick, you vomit. He says, I'd rather you have nothing to do with promise of life at all. Yes. Or I'd rather you be white hot and committed and fervent. Yeah. Because this half-hearted nonsense... Showing up when you feel like it. Giving when you feel like it. Serving when you're in the mood. It makes me sick. And that's what God is saying. He said it nicer in the prophetic word, but that's what his word says. I'm glad his word is harsher than the prophetic word. Because the word is harsher than this. He says, you make me sick. Anybody that is lukewarm makes him sick. It's a serious thing, my brother and sister. Now watch this, verse 17. Because thou sayest, now this is what the, this, the lukewarm church says this. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. See, that's where the lukewarmness comes. You don't need anything. Yeah. That's right. 
and knowest not, but you knowest not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What he's saying is this church, this lukewarm attitude church has got financial supply and they don't need anything. And so they say, I'm okay. I've got OHIP, I got my job, I got my, I got my, uh, my RSP, I got my stuff planned. I'm okay, Lord. I just do the little I can. And what God says is that that makes them sick. And he says, listen to me, I'm preaching to you good. He says, when you say that you don't need it, it's okay not to be hot for God and not to be here when the doors are open and just to do a little bit instead of all of your heart. When you say that, he says, you think you're okay, but you're actually wretched. This is New Testament. This ain't Old Testament. This is for the church. He's speaking to the church, not the world. He's saying the church, born again Christians can be wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked because you have deceived yourself to think that you're okay and you're not okay because you're lukewarm, you're half-hearted. So what does Jesus say to them? Jesus, they're in a counseling session. And he says, I counsel thee. How you would pay attention to the counsel from the king? I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that, they may, that thou mayest see. Yeah. Now I want to break this down to you for a second. Can I do that to help you? Because I, I did some study on this uh, because you wouldn't know it automatically from the scripture. You have to do some research. Their lukewarmness made him sick because they said, we don't need anything. We've got everything we need. And he says, no, you don't got everything you need. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now watch this. Laodicea, that city, I did some research on it. That city was a wealthy city. They, the people of that city, finances were not a problem in Laodicea as a city. Do you understand? And the people that obviously are attending the Laodicean church... This is an actual church. It also symbolizes today us, but this was an actual church in modern day Turkey. All the seven churches were in modern day Turkey. And this was one of the churches that Jesus is talking to, which was an actual church at the time of Paul's writing and John, John died in whatever it was, 90 AD. So this is in the first century. Okay, this is an actual church. And people that attended that church were known, the city was a wealthy city. So these were not people that were struggling financially. And that's why, you know, he says, you think you have need of nothing because you're rich, but you're not, that's not the right, you're looking at it wrong because the way I look at it, God says, is that you're actually wretched because your fervency and desperate need for me and maintaining that need is what makes you rich. Not your money in your bank account, not your fancy tuxes and your nice ties. See what God is saying here. Now watch, he says to them, uh, he says, even though they were rich, he told them what? He said, one of the characteristics is you're poor. They were rich naturally, but Jesus said, you're miserable, wretched, and you're poor. So Jesus said they were poor, but he's not talking financially because they have money. So he's talking spiritually. Now they're born again Christians, so that doesn't mean poor means they're not saved. Poor means that they're not living right. I thought this was interesting. He told them what was the counsel? Buy gold of me. Of me. Well, you can't buy physical gold from God. 
buy gold from me refined in the fire. Why did God say that? What he's saying is you've got physical gold and you're rich naturally. That doesn't cut it with me. I want you to come to me and get refined gold from the refiner's fire. That represents, that refined gold represents spiritual riches. In other words, there's a fire that I want you to be hot for me. And when you're fervent and hot and on fire for me, you're going to get another kind of gold. And it's not the gold in your bank. It's not the gold that you buy online. It's a gold that came through heaven. It's a refined gold. It represents spiritual riches, spiritual excess, something that is wealthy spiritually, but it came from God's fire. It didn't come from your bank account. He said, you're rich naturally, but you're poor spiritually. Now go and get my gold and you'll be rich. This is a very heavy word to this church. Are you still with me? The next thing he says is uh, he deals with the the richness first and then he deals with the clothing second. Because notice he says that they were were naked. But in 18, he says, buy of me gold. That's the first thing he says. He's dealing with that that, that trust in money instead of being hot for God and have a refining spiritual wealth on the inside. Then he deals with raiment. He says that you, that you have white raiment that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness does not appear. So even though they had expensive clothes, are you listening to me, promise of life? He told them they were naked. Outside you look great, but inside you're naked. Spiritually you're naked. So he says, buy white raiment of me, which represents the consecrated righteous life. Meaning they pretended to be clothed in righteousness, but they were actually naked having no righteous acts. But white garments was being spiritually clothed so that the shame of their unrighteous living would be covered and they would live righteously. God is saying it's not just your money. It's that you've got spiritual riches, a rich relationship with me. He's saying it's not just your fancy clothes. It's because you're really, you're like you're naked. That represents righteousness or unrighteousness. They're called robes of righteousness. When he says naked, he means you're not living right. You might have fancy tuxes, but you're not living right. Take my white garments of righteousness and live right. Treat people right, speak right, think right, do business dealings of integrity. That's what he's talking about. See, God don't look at the outside. He looks at the heart. They have everything on the outside, Jenny, but in their heart, something's missing. And this is born again believers. Then what's the next thing he says? After he, in verse 18, he talks about the riches. He talks about the clothing. And then he talks about the eyesight. And now this is very interesting. I did a study on this and I, I was surprised to see this. He told them they were blind, remember? Yes. They were blind. But this is a paradox because Laodicea as a city was famous in the ancient world for exporting a powder that they had created in the city, which was an eye salve that when mixed with water would help people see clearly. And in, in the ancient times, Laodicea was known as a city, the eye salve city. And they exported this salve. People would buy it from all over the the Middle East, mix it with water, put it on their eyes, and it had medicinal properties. And it was only made in Laodicea. And that's one of the reasons they were rich, because they had a thriving, uh, you know, what is the word? Ocular Ocular industry. Ancient times. So Jesus, knowing in the natural 
that they export iSelve brings it up to bring a spiritual truth. And he says in verse, in, in verse 18, it says, uh, and anoint your eyes with iSelve that you may see. In other words, you've got all the natural iSelve, but you're still blind. You can't, you don't see the way I see. You don't see my plan, my vision for your future because you got your own selfish vision. And he's almost insulting them by saying, you think you're all that with your eyes solve industry. But what you don't know is that spiritually you're blind. You help everybody else see naturally, but you're spiritually blind. You're born again, but you're blind. You don't see the way I see things. You don't see the plan and the vision for your future the way I see it because you got your own plan and you don't have my plan and you're blind. So why don't you use some of my eye self instead of trusting in your own? That's what he's saying. It's a heavy rebuke. Jesus is kind of like he's, you know, he's like, don't think you can fake me out. I know about all your industry. I know why you're rich because you make this stuff for people's eyes. But don't you dare for a second think that that qualifies you. Because inside you're blind. So listen, this is, a, this is a people that have money, that have nice clothes. But what they are is they don't have a spiritual heart. That, 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 that gold on their relationship inside is dross. It's not gold. They, they have nice clothes, but they don't do righteous works. They don't live right. They, they don't have white garments on. And, they, and they, they make more money and they send this product all over the world but they don't know and they don't care about what God's plan is for their local church and for their city. They just care about their own retirement. They don't care about God's plan. He lists three areas. Your money, your clothing, and your vision. Promise of life, I know most of you have, okay, jobs, you're comfortable. It don't matter how much money you have, it matters the fire of the intimacy with God inside doesn't matter your clothes. It matters that you live right. It doesn't matter your industriousness and helping everybody else with your businesses. It matters that you can see the plan that God has with spiritual vision for your life and for this church. And if you don't, he says you're wretched and you're miserable and you're blind and you're poor and you're naked. And this is a very, this is one of the strongest rebukes to any of the seven churches. So, the Lord said when I was studying this, he said, now you tell your people, because some of them, they're comfortable with their money, but their relationship with me is lacking, their intimacy, their fervency. They, they, they got nice clothes and everything's nice, nice houses, but are they, doing, are they living the way I've asked them to live? They're doing all this other stuff out there, but do they see what I'm trying to get over to them for their future and for promise of life in Toronto? That's what God's looking for. And this is a correction today, but you receive it from the Spirit of God the way He means it because He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to get you to change your thinking. Now have a look. Now he doesn't quit. Look at verse 19. He says all of that. And then he says in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. What is the solution to all of this problem of lukewarmness and thinking that you don't need anything and you're just kind of laying back and you're not really excited and fervent for God? What is the solution? He says, repent. 
So do you understand that that attitude is actually something you have to acknowledge intentionally and repent of? Lord, I'm, Lord, help them get it today. Lord, I have, I have missed it. I, have, I could have come when the doors were open, but I chose to stay home. That, I call that wrong. And that is a lukewarm attitude, and I repent. Lord, I could have tithed, and I didn't. I repent, and I change. Lord, I could have been in the ministry of helps, but I'm just too busy. But I repent, and I call that changed. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not going to change unless you repent of it. You've got you to call it sin. You've got to acknowledge it. That's what he said. What is the solution to all of this? Verse 19, he said, repent. What else does he say? Be zealous. That word zealous means fervent. It means hot. It means white hot. What is the solution, Jennifer? You don't just repent and say, Lord, I should have been coming, but I haven't. That's the repentance. But now what's the zealousness? What's the fervency? You get your butt into your car and you come. It is an action. Zealous fervency is not a mindset. It is an action. It starts with a thought, but it fulfills and is executed by action. Do you say, Lord, I repent of not tithing? That's not good enough. What do you do? You have to be zealous and fervent in an actionable change and actually start doing it. This is a solution. You're lukewarm. You're half-hearted. You're, you're, he's saying to this church, you don't need, you think you don't need anything, but you actually, you're far in greater need than you realize because I think you're wretched. I don't want to stand before Jesus and call me wretched, but he did to this entire church. And what is the answer? Don't, don't, don't just make excuses. Repent. Promise of life. If you're not right in this, repent. And don't just repent, but change it with fervent, white, hot, zealous action. Do something different. Go to Miss Lorraine today before you go home. Say, I have not served Jesus the way I should have in serving in this church. I am going to help. Whether you give me something or not, I'm going to help. If you want me to, if you don't give me something to help, I'm just going to help ushering and I might drop people when they fall. So you better give me something because if you don't, I'm taking something. I'll wrestle that vacuum cleaner out of Ed's hand and I'll start vacuuming this church. I'll push people down. I will, I will be a, an ornery jerk, but I am going to do something in this church. Lorraine, you better give me something. And I promise you, you will not find any argument from Lorraine. She will say, absolutely. Where would you like to help? Well, I want to do this. I'm sorry we don't have any openings. What is your response? Where do you need me? It may not be forever, but where do you need me? Well, I need you here. Well, I don't really like that, but it's not about me, and it's not about you, and it ain't about that pastor guy. It's about him. I'm serving him, and I have been going, riding a free wave, and Jesus is sick of it. I don't mean to be harsh, but my God, Jennifer, the way to get through it is to repent. Notice what he said. The second thing he said is, I love you, I rebuke you. Obviously, he must love promise of life a heap. Because if he didn't care about us, he wouldn't be having me preach this. So this should make you feel all warm and cozy. Now have a look at verse 20. This is very important. This is a scripture that has been misquoted all my life. This is a scripture that is quoted about unsaved people. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open, I will come in and eat with him and he and he, let's sup together and have fun together and have a party. 
And we do that like, well, you're a sinner. Jesus is on the outside. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Won't you let him in? Won't you let him in? Please let him in. This is not written to a sinner. It is written to a born-again person which already has Jesus in their heart. So what is it talking about? It couldn't be talking about salvation. What is it talking about? Intimacy. Salvation is relationship. You can be born again, but not spend time with God. You can be married, not spend time with your spouse. You can have a relationship, but not fellowship. These people had born again relationship, but they had no fellowship. And Jesus is saying, yes, you're saved. Yes, I'm your savior. But you know what? You don't have time for me. So I'm standing and I'm knocking and I'm saying, can't I eat with you? Can't I spend time with you? Can't we fellowship together? That's what he's saying. And I said, Holy Ghost, why is this in here? Because it doesn't seem to fit with the previous verses. And the word of the Lord came to me and he said, I'm dealing with a lukewarm attitude. I'm telling them to repent and be zealous. But the way, listen, the way that this is going to work is through intimacy. The way you're going to have a desire to serve and tithe and be around and attend and pray and all this stuff which you have to do to please him. The way where it comes from is in here because you have spent time with Jesus. Which tells me something, and I'm going to say it. I don't care if they get offended. For you not to show up at church when you can, and you just choose to be some lazy jerk, what that says to me is that you don't spend time with Jesus. Because if you did, out of that intimacy would come fervency. If you don't tithe, you don't know him. Because out of that intimacy comes the honor of the tithe. If you don't serve, you don't know him. Because out of him comes the servant heart. I want you to be a servant of all. The greatest shall be the least. It tells me that people don't spend time with him. They're Sunday only bunch. You're a bunch of SOBs. That's what Dr. Dufresne would say. He said, you're all a bunch of SOBs. Not the way the world does that acronym, but Sunday only bunch. You're lukewarm. You're satisfied. I don't need nothing. I'm good. I'll just do what I want and I'll tell the pastor to take a long walk off a short pier. And Jesus looks at you and he says, after the teaching you've got to have that kind of attitude is despicable. You are wretched and miserable. You may have money, but you've got no fire of, of, of wealth inside. You may have clothes, but you don't even live right. You may help everybody see, but you don't even know the plan I have for your future. What do you do? Repent and be zealous. How do you be zealous? Wait and spend time eating with Jesus. Let him come in. You go, Lord, I want to spend time with you. I'm going to take this hour aside. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to read your word. This is my fellowship. This is him supping with me. This is him eating dinner with me. And out of that comes the fervency to not be lukewarm. I'm not asking you to change this in your own strength because you can't. You could if you white knuckled it, but well, that's not even the best way. Get closer to Jesus and what will come inside you is a burning fire of fervency to not be lukewarm, but to be truly committed. 
to have a wealth of, of relationship, to have vision, to know what he's wanting to do, and to live clean and right and serve God and the local church. We just got to be straight. If you're not living right, it's because you don't know him. You might be born again because they were born again, but he's on the outside saying, Mary Chris, can I come and have some time with you? No, I'm too busy. I got to go on Facebook right now. No, I've got to do my third job because I won't have faith that my first two jobs will meet my needs. So I get a third job. And because of my third job, I can't come to church now. And you think you're good and what you are is wretched. You better listen, Premise of Life, because this is not me speaking. This is God speaking through me. God is trying to bring this church into another phase. He's tr- but he can't do it with a half-hearted, dissatisfied, uh, satisfied, I should say, just a uh, attitude. I live too far. Believe God for the money and drive. Or move closer. Before you buy a house that's an hour and a half away, you better make sure God told you because you ever do something that is going to hurt your hot fervency for the local church, you're going to answer to Jesus one day. And no house and no square footage is worth that. I'm not telling you not to move away. I'm saying you better be careful because if it hurts the local church, it was never God's plan. It's your ambition and your desire for money. You better be careful. I live 35 minutes away. If there's traffic, it's 40. I got to be honest with you, Rob, that drive wears on me. I see the same stinking farmhouse every day. I see that same cow. I see that same mule. I try to go different routes all the time just to break up the monotony of the drive. And I started complaining, Corinne, and I started saying, Lord, my God, what is, what, what, what? You know how you get. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, did I give you that house? And I said, yeah, yes, sir, you did. Did I make you a pastor of that church? He, yes, sir, you did. Well, then shut up. Don't complain about his blessings and try to hurt where he planted you. You make the drive. You sing while you drive. You wave to people while you drive. You listen to preaching while you drive. You pray in the Holy Ghost while you drive. Just don't close your eyes while you drive. But I have a Tesla. And they've just upgraded it with a brand new self-driving mode. And I can push a button in my car in that parking lot and it drives me all the way to my house without me touching the steering wheel or touching the pedal. And there's a little camera that watches you and it's hooked up to Tesla main office in California. And they say, if you take your eyes off the road, they, the thing comes up, it cancels it, and then they don't give it back to you for six months. It's a, totali- it's, it's a tyrannical society, I'm telling you. But I found a way around it. I wear dark sunglasses and that little nasty camera can't see through and I put you have to have your pressure on the steering wheel but I put my hand on that steering wheel I close my eyes and I pray in the Holy Ghost for 40 minutes and I don't even look and that thing does the whole thing for me now I'll probably get an email from Tesla because I'm sure that the guy's watching and they'll probably take it away from me Unless you have self-driving, do not do what I do. And I'm kidding. I don't do that because that car is a little stupid at times. 
uh, the other day it tried to go into oncoming traffic to turn left and if I had uh, if I had been praying in tongues I would be in heaven today <laughs> and I had to jerk that wheel and then a little thing comes out of the tree and says what went wrong question mark please share a confidential voice note with Tesla I shared a confidential voice note I said you almost killed me is what went wrong why would it go into oncoming traffic? So I've learned, don't pray in the Holy Ghost with your eyes closed, even if you have a self-driving car. I got off on a tangent, Reverend Greg, to simply say, I don't care how long it is, you can use that time to do whatever you want to do. But don't whine about what he blessed you with and don't whine about where he planted you. Buy a helicopter if you need to. You think I'm joking. There is now, Reverend Greer called me and he said, Jesus is with us. Normally he says God is with us, but he upgraded it to Jesus is with us. I said, I'm listening, prophet. He said, I've got your answer, your solution. I said, what is it? He said, I've got a personal helicopter for you. I said, send it to me. So he sent me a video. It's nice. It's about $60,000. It seats one person and it's a helicopter, buddy. It flies 100 kilometers an hour. And it's wonderful. So I said, Lord, I'm going to put my faith on that. But then I heard the Holy Ghost say, just check the regulations before you put your faith on it. So I checked the Transport Canada regulations and that helicopter is flagged in the Transport Canada website to say Canadians cannot fly that in over cities. You have to be out over fields. That don't help me because I need to come to Promise of Life and land on the roof. But one day, Rob, they're going to say, you can fly it in, a, in, in cities and I will come to, you'll hear me. <laughs> but right now, it's the Tesla only. But we're getting there, praise God. A little bit of honey makes the medicine go down. Fervency produces, uh, this, the intimacy produces this fervency. Now, could you look at the last verse? To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me on my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. You better listen. Yes. Now I want you to watch this. He says you're wretched, but the solution is repent and be fervent. Then he tells you how to be fervent. Fed fellowship with God. Open the door of your heart. Spend time with him. Now he tells you once, listen, this is wonderful. Once you have been intimate, which will produce that fervency, which will knock out that lukewarmness, he says what happens when you live like that is you will have an overcoming life. Because he put, this is, not, this is not splintered. All of these scriptures are connected. This is a message to the church of the Laodicea. This is a, th you can't ignore verse 21 because you think it doesn't fit. It does fit. What he's saying is to him that overcometh. What does he mean? When you have spent time with me. When the intimate fellowship leads to fervency. When the fervency leads to a white hot life in the local church and in your personal spiritual life. And you are not lukewarm. When you are on fire for me, what am I going to call you? You are an overcomer. And that overcomer has a throne waiting for you. My God. God says you want to have victory. You want to have overcoming victory. You've got to have t intimacy. That intimacy will produce fervency. That fervency will drive out half-heartedness from your attitude. But it's an action, my brother and sister. You've got to repent if you haven't treated it right. If you've been, if you've been carnal, you've got to repent and, and Jesus will help you. 
Now, just before, I had a lot of other scriptures, but I guess I'll have to do it another time. I just want to say, just let me finish by saying this. There are seven churches, and I just want you to know, just for your information, the first church, we're not going to read it, but you can start and you can read it there from, from Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3. It lists these seven churches. The first church is the Ephesus church. This is known as the loveless church. Now, let me say this to you first before I say this, these things. Theologians believe that the Laodicean church, which I've just explained to you in detail, the lukewarm church, is the prophetic picture of the end day church. Now, most theologians believe that all churches in the world have a measure of the Laodicean problem in them right now. But I, other theologians argue with them, and I'm kind of on the other side of the camp, because while I do think that the Laodicean church does mark the modern-day church very accurately, there are other churches listed that all, ha all these other six churches have certain elements that we see in the church today. So I personally think, and other theologians agree, that all seven churches represent the end-day church, because the end-day church has a little bit of all seven problems actually all six problems because there's one church that didn't have any problems. And so the first church, which we do see a measure of today, is the Ephesus church, the loveless church. They did a lot of good things for God, but they didn't love Jesus as their primary driving motive. And today we see people that like that. They'll do a lot of good things, but is your intimacy. See, we see that in the Laodicea and the intimacy as well. Notice how often God's talking about intimacy. He don't just want you to show up. He wants you to know him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said, everything is done to me except knowing him. Philippians 3. Now, the second church is the Smyrna church, which is the suffering church. There are, is an element of this, not in North America. You don't see the Smyrna church in North America, but you see it in China. You see it in Pakistan. You see it in other countries. This is the persecuted church. This, the, the Smyrna church is the persecuted church, the ones that stood for God. They had some issues, but they, but they stood for God and they were beaten down by their governments. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways, we see a measure of that here. Yeah. It's growing, yeah. but you see it in other countries. So this is a part of the end day church is there's a persecuted church. The third is the Pergamos church, which is the compromising church. You can read all this later on your own if you want. These were intertwined with idolatry. They would worship idols as well as worship Jesus. And the reason why, if you study, is because they had diluted doctrine. They didn't have strong teaching to teach them what was right and wrong. And so they were playing games with the world and have idolatry practices. And this is called the compromising church. And we see that today in many, we see that today that there is idolatry and a lot of churches don't have right doctrine. Now, the, the, the Theatria church is the fourth church. This is called the adulterous church. This church had much sexual immorality and they wanted, listen, this is amazing. Greg, how, this is 2,000 years ago and it matches churches today exactly. They had much sexual immorality and wanted all inclusivity with the culture and the trends of society. And it's called the adulterous church. Seeker-sensitive churches are adulterous churches. They are the Theatria church, and we see them live and very live and well today. And every one of these big seeker-sensitive churches that don't have strong doctrine, every one of them that, that want to just don't offend anybody, let's be all-inclusive, 
with the cultural trends of society, you always see sexual morality come out of that. In Hillsong, they've fallen in sexual morality. The guy downtown Toronto in Oakville, he fell into sexual morality. Every one of these, that, that is a common trend when you start becoming all-inclusive and you just want to accept everything, sexual immorality follows because you get casual and loose. And this is a theatric church. We see that today. The fifth church is the Sardis church, and this was called the dead church. These were nominal Christians with very limited revelation of the word and no moving of the Holy Ghost. The, the Sardis church said the Holy Ghost could stay in the back room and he wasn't allowed in their service. And because there's no Holy Ghost flow, the revelation is very weak. And they're dead. And my God, how many churches today are Sardis churches? In fact, some of the Theatria churches that are all-inclusive are Theatria slash Sardis churches because they don't want anything of the Holy Ghost and they want to include everybody and not offend anybody. We see it today. The sixth church is the only church that had no rebuke. It is the Philadelphia church. It is called the faithful church. The Philadelphia was called the faithful church. It's the only one that did not receive correction because they had stood and standed. That tells me, Jenny, that there can be a church in the end day that is right and that is standing and that is holding up the word of God. And, and if you read it, they were beaten. They were, the Bible says they had little strength. They, they were under tremendous pressure, but they did not bow. And we are, we are a Philadelphia church in many respects. I know we are because we don't bow. I've lost many friends for not bowing. But we don't bow, we're never going to bow. But the Lord didn't give us a big compliment on Wednesday night and say, Pastor Craig, who, and then the angels are all in six-part harmony. Yes, Lord, thy servant listeneth. You are the Philadelphia church. I am proud of you. He didn't do that. He said, you're a bunch of lukewarm. And you better tell them to stir themselves up. So I know in some capacity, we are the Philadelphia church. But he didn't compliment us. He said, you are leaning and opening a door to go into the Laodicean camp. And I want you to stay in the Philadelphia camp. And you better deal with this. Go back to the first screen. It, uh, quickly, 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 quickly. Tell your people to stir themselves up. That lethargy, being distracted by the world, lukewarmness, half-heartedness is trying to creep into your church. That's Laodicean. And it already is in the church in the North America at large. Other cultures are not like it, but the church of North America, is. it's the spirit of the world that does this. Next screen. Next screen. Tell them they must counter that by being fervent. What do we see the Laodicean church? He said zealousness, fervency. Repent and be fervent. Tell them they have to stir themselves up and stay hot and not lukewarm. It's easy to let fervency slip. I rebuked them in that book of Revelation. Pastor Nancy said a true statement. If you take a cup of coffee, let me get the exact phrase here. If you take a cup of coffee, a cup of coffee will cool quite quickly when removed from the heat source. Listen, the only way you're lukewarm is if you were once hot. You're not lukewarm because you don't know nothing, you don't want nothing about God, and then you graduated up to lukewarm. You were cold and then you became hot. Now you're reducing down from hot to lukewarm. And if you take a cup of coffee away from that heat source, it will start to become lukewarm. Why is intimacy so important? 
If you don't manage that intimacy and that relationship, not just in church, but at home, if you don't love him and know him and want to worship him and stay close to him, if you get away from that heat source in your spirit, what happens? You become lukewarm. But when you are close to that heat source and you are intimate with him, it will produce heat. It will produce spiritual vigor. It will produce a fervency. And out of that fervency will come action. And you won't be lukewarm because you'll be giving the way you should, attending the way you should, serving the way you should, praying the way you should, evangelizing the way you should. But it starts with that heat source. So when I see people not doing it, I just know that they don't love Jesus. They don't spend time with him. You might as well just admit it. If that's you, don't, don't try to be a fake. Just say, Lord, I, 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 got, some, I got some changing to do. I, I'm too busy. I'm too distracted. I'm letting the spirit of the world come in me. I don't want it anymore. I, I'm going to make the change. You corrected me through my pastor, and I humble myself to repent today and to start being zealous. Hallelujah. We've got to stay close to that heat source. Praise the Lord. We've got to maintain our need. Remember, you don't need. You have need of nothing. We sing that song, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. See, he said, you're you're Laodicean, lukewarm, because you say you're rich and you have need of nothing. But no, you're wretched and miserable, etc. What was the problem? I don't need anything. When you start thinking, I don't need promise of life, you're already lukewarm. When you are thinking, I don't need to pray, I don't need to spend time with God, you're already lukewarm. You have to maintain your need for him. That fervent need for him. I need you, Jesus. When I wake up, I need you. When I'm going about my day, I need you. There's darkness all around me. I need you. Uh, When I come home, it's not just to cast off restraint and do what I want to do. I will do my normal life and have fun, but I I maintain an attitude. I need you. If you do that, you'll never become lukewarm. That needing him will keep you close to him. I need Jenny. I do. I don't, I, I don't like going away. I don't like going on trips without her. And I don't just mean sexually. I'm talking about, I'm, she's my best friend. She's annoying, but she's my best friend. She beats me up. That's why I wear a lot of long sleeves so you can't see the bruises. But she's my best friend. I really mean that. She's my best friend. Your, your husband and wife should be your best friend. And I miss her company. I miss talking to her. I miss the way she makes jokes. I miss the way she makes fun of me. I just, when I'm not around her, I miss her. Why? Because that closeness with her, that intimacy with her. Do you understand? Without that, there's a cooling. If if we're like that with our natural spouses, how much more with our Savior? I love you, Jesus. I want to be, I need you. See, I need Jenny. I need her because of that intimacy. I need Jesus more than my wife because of that intimacy superpasses her intimacy. My intimacy with him is beyond all human comprehension. And out of it comes a drive and a vigor and a strength and a fervency and a pushing forward. And I won't quit. And I'm going to do all I can to serve Pastor Nancy and all I can to serve God and all I can domestically and all I can internationally. And I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to speed up because he's close to me. And Jesus whispers, go faster, son. The time is short. I'm coming soon. It's not time to jog. It's time to sprint. Go faster, son. You see, but I don't know that unless I'm close with him. You got to get close to Jesus. How, pastor? Start praying in tongues an hour a day. An hour? Yeah, the fact that you say it like that shows you're backslidden. An hour! Jesus said, can you not tarry one hour? In other words, it's like, that's nothing. 
You better be praying. You better be seeking him. You better be reading your Bible every day. No days off, no vacation. And when you're on natural vacation in the Bahamas, you better be doubling and tripling because you've got no other responsibilities. You never take a spiritual vacation ever. You stay close and you stay hot and you stay fervent and you show the action of it. And you treat this church right. Because our future depends on your attitude. Did you hear me? Our future depends on the church's attitude, not just mine, yours. If it only mattered to me, God wouldn't say, it's based on the attitude of your people. Father, in Jesus' name, it's hard to shut this down, but I'm shutting it down. I thank you for speaking to these precious people. You love them. You are correcting us because you love us. Like that scripture I just read says, I chasten those whom I love. Jesus, I take this as a love correction, not as a beating correction. You want this church to take a change of direction. We cannot maintain this type of half-heartedness in phase three in next year. We've got to start making changes. Lord, let them start to pray more than they've ever prayed because out of that intimacy will come the desire to be in every service if they can. If they're working, Lord, you can, they can start using their faith to change their work schedule so they can put your house first. Lord, out of that intimacy will come a desire to give financially. It will have, there'll be a desire to pray. There'll be a desire to evangelize. There'll be a desire to serve in the ministry of helps. There'll be a desire to love each other and not be offended. There'll be a desire to lift up the standard of righteousness. It all comes back to our intimacy. You're knocking on the door of our heart and you're saying, let me in. I want a fellowship with you. Lord, we open the doors of our heart today and say, Jesus, spend time with us. We will spend time with you. We repent of our lack, our lukewarmness and we will be zealous. It will come out of that intimacy and we will act. That fervency will cause us to act in the agape acronym. We will act differently in our attendance. We will act differently in our giving. We will act differently in our serving. We'll act differently in telling others about Jesus because we need to tell people that he's the answer. We will act differently in how we pray. Lord, let that fervency produce action. Let that intimacy produce fervency. And we give you praise for it today. We repent for those of us that need to repent. And we will make the change. I thank you that this message will bear fruit that remains. That it won't fall on deaf ears or hard-hearted ground. But the soil is the fourth kind of soil that is rich and dark. And ready to receive the incorruptible seed. And this message today as seed goes into their hearts. And it produces fruit. In Jesus' name. Help them guard their heart. That they would, it would allow this message to produce fruit in their lives. Lord, I would rather a smaller church but a fervent church. I don't want a smaller church. I want a bigger church because we can do more for you when we've got more people. But we need fervency more than we need numbers. Fervency is everything. We will not be considered a Laodicean church. I refuse. We are a Philadelphia church. We are not a Laodicean church. But you are correcting us because the Laodicean spirit is trying to creep in. Lord, we make that change today in Jesus' mighty, precious name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Praise the Lord.